it's a little bit like there's like a uh, almost a mystique to how technology works that makes us think that it's all just magic <laughs> ma- yeah essentially um yeah. but we forget yep. that there are a lot of humans involved in you clicking a button hello and welcome to thinking out loud i'm your co-host cameron McAllister, and i'm your co-host nathan rittenhouse nathan elon's musk is all over twitter and people don't like it oh man you are <laughs> i tried to say it with straight face <laughs> yeah. oh ah, dad joke there you go that's yeah. great okay well we do need to talk about tech companies though so we may as well enter into the uh the fray aroma of the conversation in that the aroma <laughs> yeah well i mean i think so massive exodus if the behind the scenes conversations with reporters are to be believed at twitter right now because of and I, I the precise quote is eluding me the something radically hardcore ultimatum yeah. extremely hardcore i just read it the extremely other day hardcore. extremely yeah, hardcore extremely like hardcore yeah, ultimatum imposed by Elon Musk on on Twitter. So that's and but of course Twitter is not it's it's distinct in it's the takeover that's happening right now, but it's not an isolated case of layoffs or departures at tech companies. You have Amazon in that mix, you have Lyft, you have of course Meta with Coinbase, Netflix. Meta might be more Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Meta might be more now, but it was Do the figure I had was 11th 11,000. I said Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So major, major shakeups in the tech world. Yeah. Well, so here's, here's what makes it uncertain for me to know what to do with the Twitter one exactly. Because so if you look at, so here's the macro system, as far as I've been able to read and understand this is that from, well, we can even go back 10 years. So let's say 2012, if you look at a line of the rate of growth of people moving their business online, that has been steady and upward in a nice trajectory and any stocks or investments or anything that have a tech company associated with it. Those have all been kind of bearing the brunt of a lot of the economic growth of our country are, have been in those, in those sectors in the technology sector. So imagine in your mind, a line that is going up at a very nice, steady linear increase year by year, until you get to, mm-hmm. and it's like a slight, like it's just, I mean, just think about how much has changed in the last 10 years of what you can do online. However, then you hit the pandemic in 2020 and almost everybody goes online. And so that upward curve then spikes to a steeper angle of acceleration. So if you're vision, envisioning this in your mind, you have a linear graph curve going up and then it spikes up like for the last two years as everybody is online all the time, streaming, Zoom, Google, like all of those things have been happening. So what happened is, is that the tech CEOs looked at that last two-year trajectory and said, okay, if we spread this out into the future, at this rate, we're going to need a lot of employees. So when e-commerce booms, Amazon is promising two-day shipping, and they need to and everybody's buying stuff online, they have to hire thousands and thousands of employees to meet that demand. However, what they got wrong, and I'm not just saying Amazon here, but this is why you see like all tech CEOs saying things like, I'm sorry, is because they miscalculated the future of that demand. And so they hired workers as if that rate spike was going to increase, but it actually plateaued because 
COVID was over, people went back to services instead of goods. Now people are spending their money going out to the water park or restaurants or whatever. And mm-hmm. people turn. So, so what's interesting is, is that if you look at Amazon laying off 11,000 people, that layoff still doesn't get them lower than where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. They're actually still higher than where they were in 2020. And so it's wild for us to think of a company the size that you could lay off 11,000 workers potentially and still be a growing company. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at their overall trajectory, it's still positive and growing. It's just that the rate of growth massively changed back into the rate of growth, which was still good pre-pandemic. And so this these massive tech sector layoffs on a macroeconomic scale are just a return to the rate of growth pre-pandemic. Does that make sense? It's it's hard to describe a, a graph in your mind, but so 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 some of that's what the reason that that little aside was important there is some of that's hard for me to know how much of that is like a macroeconomics thing that Twitter is going through that's the same as every other tech industry and company and how much of this is uniquely I mean Elon Musk has a way of making everything unique and he provides the perfect mm-hmm. social media trampoline for everybody to jump on so that's why I can't quite figure it out just yet but I mean so his might be a special case but anyway there's a little context on the macroeconomic yeah. scale. And I think the, I mean, the part of the Twitter story that's really captivating the public imagination doesn't so much concern Twitter. Twitter is, for better or for worse, a unique social media platform. And it does have its, its distinct advantages. But I don't think, I think Twitter is a little bit more niche in terms mm-hmm. of its appeal. It always has been. I think what's really interesting to people here is Elon Musk who is a major figure, and he really does conform to a typical American vision of success. He is a person who has has been massively successful successful financially, of course, being one of the, I mean, the one of the wealthiest people on the planet. Is he the wealthiest? Is he uh, the wealthiest yeah, it goes still? back and forth. We'll see how this all works out with uh, neck and neck. I think, I think there's a lawsuit about his compensation at Tesla and then this kind of, yeah, so I think he'll be all right. That's right. Right. He's doing okay. But so he has, so there's this American vision of success that equates success often with achievement and particularly with financial achievement. So he's there. And then there's this notion that somebody who has attained that level of success, and again, I'm spelling out a tacit philosophy. I always say this. This is not something that people usually work out in explicit terms. (laughs) When you say it explicitly, it sounds silly. You would be terrible at writing t-shirts, Cameron. Oh, I would. I so would. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I just remember when I was a teenager wandering into Hot Topic because I was one of those kids seeing a a t-shirt that said sanity is the playground of the unimaginative. And at the time I thought that was, wow, that's profound. I need that shirt. (laughs) Oh, 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 teenage Cameron. Anywho, I think people look at somebody like an Elon Musk and they think, well, this person is successful so they can do whatever they they turn their hand to if they want to run for president they should run for president i mean we there is a disturbing track record lately of looking at people who are are celebrities and and massively successful in a certain american sense of that word and thinking oh wow you need a political platform now but of course that success doesn't necessarily translate to every single field and part of what's really interesting here is watching 
the tension erupt between Elon Musk, who thinks very much like an engineer in his just day-to-day operations, and a team of, of people who are highly creative. Now, those things aren't, aren't necessarily totally distinct. Of course, you need both. But there's this increasing tension in a lot of these social media companies and tech companies because they, I mean, the real push is to be marketable and to, you know, basically make investors happy and go in that direction on the one hand. But then there are people who want to do, you know, who are in it for, they want to see new imaginative possibilities. And I think you have those, you have those two things coming to a head there, the the notion that, yeah. Yeah, but there's there's a separate way in which the engineering and tech collision might be playing out here. So this is all highly Nathan Rittenhouse speculative, but look at how tech, look at how engineer, look at how engineers succeed. So if you look at Tesla, SpaceX, now I'm not like a Elon Musk is can walk on water kind of guy. I think he has some seriously creepy and messed up ideas. However, what you have to think through is how many Tesla prototypes were there that didn't work before Tesla became a thing. How many rockets has Elon Musk built that exploded or didn't work um, before he built the largest private fleet of rockets, you know, in the history of humanity? And so he is very much approaches things like, ah, yeah, you got to blow some stuff up and stuff will burn. And, you know, like that's all part of the the growth experimentation phase. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if somebody like him could come in, look at what's happening at, at Twitter perfectly expect it and think this is just fine because this is how progress is made. You you disrupt things, and if you want to do something unique that's yep. literally going to end up going into orbit, you have to shake things up from the bottom and totally rewrite the story and start over. So that would be an engineering mind coming into this. I think a social media platform, <laughs> you have thousands of people like, no, I don't want to work extremely hardcore for your experimentation and perhaps uh, be the guinea pig in whatever blows up next. So there you have it. There's another way of thinking about it. Yeah, as I understand it, engineers, I mean, if you boil it down, they solve problems. And I think Elon Musk does seem to look at Twitter as a problem right now to be solved. Well, no, you, you know, the joke of engineers is, you know, they look at something and if it's broken, they fix it. And they look at something and if it's not broken, they fix it. <laughs> you know, so, so there's yeah. there's that sort of um mentality of like, hey, let's this model's working. Well, let's do it differently or try to find a more efficient way to do it. So I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's some of what's going on here. All right. So if I may introduce another angle here into the into the discussion. So I think we mentioned this in in one of the previous podcasts, but another factor here is a growing sense of tech fatigue that's Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. on the part of users. And I think in the oncoming years, let me just try to briefly p- play the role of tech profit, a role I'm completely <laughs> unsuited to play at all. I can't so just wait take to hear this. A grain of salt. I can't wait to hear this. Well, and I'm not, I'm actually not going to say anything very <laughs> radical or drastic. So oh, it's on, not really being it. a profit. That's how you really more, feel. It's more like me riding on the coattails of others. But no, I think what is essentially you're, you have happening here is younger people, and I mean, as younger people come of age, more and more people are going to be moving away from social media platforms. I think you you have a pretty big mass exodus, not on the part of employees, but on the part of users coming up here soon. Oh, and- ah. see, I, 
I, I hope that's true, but I don't know. Are the, st- are the numbers there? No, so again, this is me also operating off of intuition here a little bit and some of the anecdotes of conversations I've had. No, but there there does seem to be, well, first of all, let me get a little evidential here to try to back this theory up. There is grow, there's a growing body of evidence. I mean, massive research and prim- primarily in the field of psychology, actually, on how incredibly harmful, you know, social media usage is, especially if you're, if you're really, if you're very online, as is sometimes said, if this is a huge part of your day every day, and it's a, it's a huge part of your habits, there, there's a growing body of evidence that this is detrimental to people psychologically, particularly young people. So as that knowledge, it takes a while for, so you have cutting edge research, right? And that takes a while to basically that's, that's in the limited, largely to academic spheres. It takes a while for that to disseminate to the general public. It goes faster nowadays because of the way information spreads, but it still takes uh, a while. It takes time to set in. Yeah. But so, okay. So I'm I trying to decide if there are two in. things. I, I, so I'm trying to decide, okay, I have two conflicting th- thoughts in my mind. One to validate what you said. The other one is, is like, we know that meth and fentanyl is not good for your well-being. Oh, sure, and, sure. Yeah, no, and, people... lots, and there's an increased usage there. So the, the correlation no, no. between like- No, so I don't want to good... run... But, but on the yeah, other yeah. hand- No, let, I don't want to run me... roughshod over human complexity. Yeah, but... <laughs> but Well, no, but so, all right, I, I just say that only sort of flippantly. But no, I used to give this talk called Smartphone, Smart, Smartphone, Smart Faith. And it was wild. Like how many times if I asked a group of students, like, and we're talking younger here in like the 15 to 20 category, how many of you in the last month have deleted an app or something from your phone to free up more, you know, and it turned into something that sounded like an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Susie. I deleted Facebook from my phone and it's been the best thing that I've ever done. You know, that, Mm. that, that's real. I mean, so I have anecdotal support for, I think largely what you're saying there, um, to be a real felt thing. And and once the desire is there, then the action will probably follow. It's just that there probably will be a lag in that. So I'm affirming what oh, you're I saying. Think serious, no, I think, I think there'll be a serious lag. And I think absolutely. I mean, people, but the, the one, the one place that I, I go here is the tobacco industry. So, and I'm saying this as a former smoker. So talk about, I'm, I'm a poster child for a person who fully aware of how detrimental the health <laughs> you know, this is to your health and still having done it for, for a while. So it wasn't, you know, my problem wasn't that I needed more information, but that being said, if you look at the way at the trends surrounding smoking and tobacco usage, it's, I mean, a notable dent has been made in recent years. And that's, I mean, again, and if you think about how long it's taken by the way for this to, and I know vaping is, is a new, there's a new surge in vaping and and all of that. And human behavior is always, I mean, we're motivated by our desires and by our hearts, not by our heads alone. So I want to take that into account. But I think there is a growing recognition of the deleterious effects of, of social media usage, serious, you know, lots of social media usage. I think it's, it's coming to also, and this is probably wor- worse for the social media companies, it's coming to be seen gradually as more and more irrelevant on the, by, by, by younger people. Mm-hmm. Just think about the way yeah, younger people look at Facebook, for instance. I think oh, that, yeah. that is that's, a that's the thing yeah. of the past. Oh yeah, and that's a picture of that. That's a picture of 
a coming, you know, a change of the tide, I think. Oh, can I tell you a funny and, story about that? Just, yeah, just quickly. Do. So I think this was in like 2016. So this is how far back this goes in case you're wondering how. Yeah. Anyway, so I was speaking at a, I think it was a Mennonite church in Pennsylvania and I was walking in and there were a bunch of middle school students sitting on a brick wall. And I overheard one of them say, of course, I don't have Facebook. Facebook is for grandmas. <laughs> and that that yeah. was like six years ago already. But I was like, man, the context of all of this just made that That's a, statement so funny to me. Oh, yeah. But it's so true also. Well, that's the death knell of Facebook, by the way, because that's now that's a that's a soundbite. Facebook is for grandmas. And that once that sentiment is, you know, widely dispersed, I mean, that's the that basically signifies <laughs> something has to change or some some kind of an ending there. But I think on an existential level, people there's a growing recognition that we need to return to more holistic habits and we need to lean more into our communities and into where we live. There's a growing, mm -hmm. there's a growing emphasis among younger people, a lot of younger educated people on basically leaning into your community, being a part of your community and contributing to it and being more well, involved in local politics, for instance. Yeah, well, and I mean, the other thing that happened that, is, yeah. is COVID in the food system. I mean, yeah. that's a huge leader on that of people starting to think about like, where does my food come from? What does it mean to support a local yep. farmer? How do, you know, why mm -hmm. am I getting my carrot from 15 right. states away? You know, that, so that, those types of questions are starting to be forced to be asked and people are looking for more holistic answers um, and are well, the willing. Way, I like the way, you, yeah. Well, you put it well the other day in our, just in our, conversation where you said a sort of reverse globalization seems to be happening mm -hmm. yeah well right so i mean so answer, answer this question how many hundred facebook friends would you be willing to tr trade for a real friend right yeah i yeah. mean so so the the relocalization of a lot of things i think is part of the future um that will disrupt the and so the other, so yeah, all right. So there's, there's two sides of this. One is that I think as people mature maybe, or look at the world and they recognize that everything that technology has promised hasn't turned to gold, there's that element, but the tech industry is continuing to innovate. And I mean, part of the reason of the decline of a lot of tech industries is also because TikTok stole their viewers. And so there's always mm -hmm. some yeah, new sure. kid on the block to come in, steal the attention time of something else. So it's a, it's a bit of a both and there, but can, it Hey, is. can I ask? Yeah. Can I, I want to yeah. ask you a question that I, you know how we used to talk about FOMO fear of missing oh, yeah. out. Um, and, and that's a real thing. Like people are afraid of missing out. And I talked about like limiting some of my technical use because I had a fear of missing out on like things that are happening locally, um, or in like in my household. Um, so there's that. I heard a new one. FOBO. Have you heard of FOBO yet? No. So no. I hadn't either. I was talking to a campus ministry leader a week or two ago, and he said, FOBO is the fear of a better option. Mm. And so people don't commit to things because they're always waiting for the next best thing. And you have to keep yourself available for what might happen next. And I thought, ah, that's an interesting. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, actually, that describes, yeah, I mean, that describes something that's been around for, for a while. I mean, people used to, that's why people kept channel surfing. 
And that's why we mm-hmm. can't pick an option on streaming service. And that's why we can't, a lot of people are terrified of actually getting into a serious and committed relationship. <laughs> yeah. So it might a, be something it's better. a picture. Yeah, there might be something better. It's a, it's, it's a picture of that inner restlessness. But I think people are also getting tired of this constant restlessness. And I think there's growing recognition as well that always being in that mindset of looking for a better option and always being on social media, in a sense, scrolling, waiting for something to titillate you or excite you or, or, or to make, you know, give you some sort of a rush, you know, a, a kick of some kind, that that is a tremendous waste of your time and your energy. And that you also find yourself often getting worked up and angry and pulled into stuff that is really a huge drain on your mind. I mean, your focus, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about the spiritual value of focus, particularly in our own day and age. Your focus, you only have so much of it, right? And you can absolutely drain your tank, so to speak. And a lot of us are, I think there's a growing recognition that we're devoting so much mental energy, so much time to stuff that really doesn't matter, that's fleeting, when there, it, there are numerous items and people around us who do need us, who really could use our attention and our help and our resources. <laughs> so... so- as, what that, should you as be, that sinks in, yeah. <laughs> so what should you be doing instead of listening to this podcast? Well, right. hopefully you can do something productive while listening to this podcast. But anyway, this is a podcast where we tell you to listen to fewer podcasts. How's that for a PR nightmare? Well, in a but, sense, though, I mean, one of the biggest compliments I ever got was, yeah, you really, you helped me clean clean the bathroom the other day with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so we're, I, got, I, I, I take full responsibility for getting this way off topic. Back around to Twitter then. Um, I, what? Just kidding. Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> just so, so here's, why, here's why I'm not ready to write, write Twitter off just yet as like, oh, it's all imploding. Um, a, it still has massive brand recognition, and that's valuable. Oh, yeah. And it does still have some pretty savvy people. Um, and I also think maybe this is just personal, that there are a lot of companies who have a lot of people that they don't need. Um, so mm-hmm. that that could also be true too. So it's a little bit too soon for me to like call the, to referee from the sideline and be like, oh, this is good or bad. Uh, I mean, of course, everybody who's leaving is going to see it as bad sure. and the people who are making the cuts are going to see it as good and time might tell. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't proper ways to do things uh, when hard decisions need to be made. That's that's for sure. But anyway, I'm kind of seeing no, it as a type of a thing. A, yeah, that's a wise way to look at it. I mean, another scenario I think that many people will probably be recalling in all of this is when Steve Jobs was brought back on board on Apple. And the first thing that that he did was he slashed thousands of jobs because at that and now this is not in this is not strictly comparable this is a different story but apple had had basically massive mission creep and they had all sorts of i mean they had so many projects in development so many different things that they were working on they'd lost focus of what they actually did and at the time their focus was really on personal computers and so mm-hmm. jobs said we're getting rid of all of these departments all these different projects and we're going to whittle it down to maybe i think it was something like 3 3 or 4 and we're going to concentrate all our efforts there and do it really well. So there is, a, of, of course, there's a precedent for somebody coming into a company where there has been, yeah, 
some basically some confusion has entered in or just a lack of clarity and, you know, really, I mean, it's tough because you're talking about people's livelihoods and people's lives, but I think there's still, yeah, it's, it's unclear just what will, what will emerge on the other side of this. And I'm sorry, I'm not (laughs) a tech person at all. So this is, yeah, definitely not my, my field. Okay. So here's an interesting thing that is relevant to this. So Twitter wants to moderate online content. I I guess, so, so let me see if I can get this out right. So much of what we think is, is still digital is still human in the sense that people have to moderate the content. You have to, you have to pay people to moderate the content of what's on Twitter or Facebook or anything else. When you order something on Amazon, yeah, it's automated to a certain degree, but there are still people involved behind the scenes in doing that. When you store something in the cloud, we all know this. It doesn't actually go to a cloud. It goes to a server and pick your spot mm-hmm. that rents a massive warehouse and chills it down to store all of your data information. There are technicians and people that work there. Like there's a high human toll behind your button click. And so it's it's kind of an interesting something about the interface and the way it's set up. We still don't see the human element of the process because we just assume. I th- it's a little bit like there's like a uh, almost a mystique to how technology works that makes us think that it's all just magic. <laughs> ma- yeah, essentially. Um, yeah. But we forget yep. that there are a lot of humans involved in you clicking a button um, that are behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, like, yeah, it's techie and it's cool, but it that doesn't mean that there isn't a real human element to everything behind the scenes. So, yeah, I mean, Twitter will be categorically different if you have fewer people doing their stuff. So, yeah, it... I don't know. I just felt like it was important to remind myself every once in a while that you're still dealing with humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we do have sometimes a magical view of our, <laughs> our technology and it is helpful to get, to get grounded once again. And these stories actually are a reminder of the persons who are behind the scenes here and what happens when there are even something as simple as a, a major shift in trends right all of that has is can be spelled out in serious consequences for for persons behind the scenes and it's just a helpful piece of perspective here well so but yeah to, i'm not sure i have too much more to add here yeah well so here's what i would add i'm I'm speaking to myself here and maybe this is good for other people is that i think if you look at digital and technological platforms they're fine places to have a presence they're good tools to use they are lousy places to put all of the eggs of your identity into and so Mm -hmm. if your identity is based off of this digital and technological persona and there's a disruption in that sector that's going to be far more um (laughs) far more of a disruption to you as a person as an individual than it really should be so i i think it's helpful to have these conversations of things that we kind of almost take for granted as large tech companies that are always growing and doing well and they're the forerunners of innovation and they make our lives so much better and all these yeah to a degree but let's be very cautious about the amount of resources that we're taking and investing into those and to be thinking about what does real community actually look like and and, you know this is a, a drum that we're always beating but i think whenever we see these moments of disruption it's a good reminder it's a good warning for us for the future to not 
overly invest who we are, our community, our friendships, and dare I say, even in our church and spiritual formation into sectors that go beyond um, face-to-face human interaction. And um, so I just have a sense there that in some ways, I think there are a lot of people who are striving to live that way and almost are happy to see this being shaken up as a reminder of how humanity actually works. So I'm, I'm torn in between of like, it's too soon to tell really, but it's soon enough to say that it is not a great place to invest all that you are. Um, and we know that we just have to be subtly reminded of it over and over again. So anyway, you've been listening to thinking out loud podcast where we think out loud about current events, camera makes jokes and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to thinking out loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.